Developing the Leader Within is a podcast that focuses on leadership, management, and career development. We nosedive into the areas that are holding you back from your full potential. Let us begin. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Developing the Leader Within podcast. I'm Enrique Acosta-Gonzalez, your host. And today I have with me a very, very special person. Uh, Not only did he serve at the highest position of the enlisted force in the Navy, uh, but he is one that I refer to as my McPon, uh, because when I came in, he was the sitting McPon at the time. Uh, McPon, Dwayne Bushy, thank you for being with us. And thank you for well, sharing it, your time. Enrico, with that uh, introduction, you, you're going to have to widen it out a little bit. I think you just swelled my head up. <laughs> well, you know, uh, all of you who sit in that seat uh, are such a treasure to us. And, you know, I remember just a couple of weeks ago, or last week, you were all down uh, for the commissioning of McPon uh, Black's uh, The Ship. And I, I saw you, you know, pass on that that uh that object of, of treasure to to the, the to binnacle the, yes the binnacle to uh to a shipmate there serving on that ship and uh you know i was just so proud to see all of you sitting there uh representing uh the office of the mig pond after serving uh and just so grateful to even be able to see and speak to you so once again thank you for being with us and folks uh we're going to be talking about leadership and legacy, which is so important uh, to, to people, to people in general, leaving a legacy. Um, but at the leadership uh, standpoint, uh, it's even more important because you impact folks. So Mick um, Palm Bushy, uh, if you will take a couple of minutes and just talk about your service and, and what you're doing now. All right. Well, as you know, I was born, uh, I'm a damn Yankee. I was born in Lebanon, New Hampshire, uh, raised on a, on a farm there uh, to two wonderful parents. And I tell people today that uh, I, I grew up in a Norman Rockwell uh, farm. And you know, we had our own pond for ice skating and skiing and, and just had a wonderful childhood. Uh, when I turned 18, I was off to uh, University of Maryland Somewhere along the line, I thought I wanted to be an accountant. And at the last minute, I went down to harass the recruiters, and I ended up in the Navy. Uh, I was only going to do my four years, then go back and, uh, and go get my college degree and move on. Well, four years turned into six, and then uh, got my arm twisted. I could either go back, do my third tour of Vietnam tour, or I could uh, go to Whidbey Island, go to Bombardier Navigator School. So I stayed for a few more years. Put my paper, I was going to get out at 10. Put my papers in at 19 and a half. So that's it. Half my career already been as a, as a master chief. I've done two tours as command master chief. Uh, there's nothing left to do. I'm going to go home and start a business. And the commodore called me and said, I want you to be the wing master chief. And I talked to my wife and I said, well, you know, that's shore duty. I haven't had any shore duty for a long, long time. So maybe I ought to I'd just go do that. And she said, yeah, okay, fine. Well, I, it turned out we had 10 squatters stationed all over the world and I was gone more on shore duty than I ever was on sea duty. So at the end of that tour, I put my papers in again to retire and I got a call to, from the force master chief said, uh, 
we want you to go to Theodore Roosevelt for an interview to be the command master chief. I said, no, I'm not interested. I'm going to retire. I want to teach school. I'm going to ODU. I already got my class schedule. He said, well, this is an order. And I said, you can't order me to do that. And I hung up. I got a call from Admiral. He said, uh, Master Chief Bushy, you're going to Theodore Roosevelt for an interview. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> Captain Parcells was the CEO. Uh, I called him back the next day and said, you know, Captain, gonna be a great ship, great crew. You're a great CEO. You got a great XO, uh, but no, thank you. I've been running hard, put up wet, and I'm gonna go ODU. It take me a year to get my finish my degree, and I'm gonna go teach high school. Two days later, my detailer called me and said, uh, Dwayne. What's going on? He said, I've been told to cut orders on you to be the command master for the Theodore Roosevelt. And I got your retirement paper. What's it going to be? So I called Captain Parcells back and I said, uh, you know, Captain, I can turn this down. He said, no, but I'm calling your bluff. He said, I think you want to do it. And I went home and sat down with Sue and I said, babes, I promised you I was going to retire. I've been gone an awful lot. She said, do you want to do it? And I said, I'm like a semen deuce with a knot in the middle of my stomach. Yes, it scares me. I want to do it. And she said, we love you. Go to it. We'll be here when you come back. And I said, it's going to be a long three years. I said, uh, you know, I'm going to stand on the flight deck and see my house, but not come home. I'm going to make that the best crew in the whole United States Navy. She said, go. Well, as you know, I finished three years there. And uh I got a call from uh, Captain Parcells. He said, uh, "Did he's now Admiral Parcells. He said, did you put in to be Master Chief of Navy? And I said, no, I'm getting ready to take this ship on a cruise to the med. I put this chief mess together and I'm not leaving my crew. Next thing I know, the admin officer keeps stopping me and asking me to, you know, uh, when did you do this? When did, I said, Commander, what are you doing? He said, I'm putting in a package for you to be the Master Chief of the Navy. He said, I wish you'd cooperate. It was Commander Wright. So I said, okay. I gave him my scrapbook and said, here, here's my history. Well, I ended up being one of the final 10. So I had, uh, then I ended up being one of the final four. And I thought, there's no way they're going to select me. So orders came in for me to leave the Theater Roosevelt. We were down off Puerto Rico. And uh, Captain said, okay, uh, you got to go to Washington, D.C. for interviews. I said, Captain, I don't leave my ship when it's at sea. I'm not that kind of command master chief. When the ship goes to sea, I'm on it. I don't leave early. I don't go off for any business meeting. I'm staying. He called the master at arms and said, handcuff him, put him on that cod. <laughs> I got on the cod, went to Washington, D.C. Uh, and during the interview, Admiral Trost was the chief of naval operation. And he looked at me and I sat down. He said, Master Chief Bushy, tell me why you want to be the master chief of the Navy. And I thought for a few minutes and I looked at him and I said, you know, Admiral, I don't want to be the Master Chief of Navy. My dad told me never tell a lie. He said, he looked at me and he got back and he said, can you explain that? I said, yes, sir. I got the best ship in the United States Navy. I got the best crew in the United States Navy. And we're getting ready to leave on a med cruise. I'm not afraid of the job. You keep Bill Plackett here another nine months, let me make my cruise and I'll come back and do the job. But no, sir. I don't have time for this right now. And he kind of laughed and he said, uh, you know, I'm a Naval Academy graduate. I said, yes, sir. He said, you know, my aspirations was, was to be the, the commander in chief of uh, uh, Lant Fleet, St. Lant, St. Pack or something like that. He said, 
I got there. I finally reached my goal. And they said, you got to go to Washington, D.C. and be the CNO. He said, I didn't want to do it. I wanted to be that, that fleet commander. He said, so I understand. I thought I went and told Sue, I said, that's it. We're out of here. And that Friday, he had us all four lined up with our spouses and he started talking. All of a sudden he stopped and he pointed at me and said, and Dwayne, you're the next mass chief of the Navy. And he started talking again. So I just stood there and he finally stopped me and said, you're gonna show any emotion at all? And I said, sir, I'm not sure if I'm gonna accept it yet or not. And he just kind of went back and the other three were kind of legs quivering. <laughs> I said, babes, this is going to be another hard three years. I promised you twice I was going to retire. This is going to involve you. What do you think? She looked at me and says, you want to do it? I said, yes. Okay, we can do it. And so I looked at Avatro and said, I'll take it. And then he started talking and all of a sudden he stopped and he looked at Sue and he said, Sue, what are you smiling so hard about? She said, I finally know what his last tour is, right? He has to go home after this. He said, yes, he does. <laughs> what a wonderful story. Oh, my goodness. You know, you think you know, but you just don't know. And, uh, that you know, all throughout as you going through that story is, uh, you know, adventure. But all I'm thinking is, wow, what a family support. Wow, what a family support. I mean, it almost makes me tear up and I probably will, but it, because it just hits to you to the heart. Legacy is built off of family support. I mean, that's where it, we, we get to call you Mick Pond because your family supported you. And reword that, is, that. You, you get to call me <laughs> Mick Pond because of Sue. <laughs> Well, that's true. <laughs> and I <laughs> often, you know, when Admiral Trost and I, would, we'd meet each morning and a lot of I'd just look at him right straight in the eye and said, Admiral, tell me the truth. You didn't select me. You selected Sue. And he'd just smile. <laughs> As you know, he passed away last month. And uh, I had lunch with him last time about a year ago. And I asked him the same question. He never would say. He'd just smile. <laughs> A true commander. <laughs> well, I I believe that, that if you want to tie it to legacy, that he, he selected a family. And at that time, the Navy was really trying to turn around a, from a Navy Family Service Center to fleet and family support and uh, getting the families more involved. The ombudsman program, I'd been part of writing the manual for that, uh, for the fleet master chief. And we were very family oriented. We'd been the... Uh, uh, Military Citizen of the Year in uh, Norfolk. We, we, we were the Reagan Point of Light uh, Family of the Year. Our, our whole family was involved with, with community and with the church. And I think he was looking for that. Today, you probably couldn't use the spouse to help select who's going to be there. But I believe, he never said this, but I believe Admiral Trost picked us as a team. And it worked out very well. Sue had a tremendous amount of respect in Washington, D.C., I tell everybody, I laugh. I say, you know, Sue and I would go on a trip, come back, and I turn in my trip report, and Admiral Border would take it and say, "Oh, that's neat. Let me read Sue's." <laughs> she knew how to talk to to the ombudsman and and the spouses and pick out what's just a complaint to what's a real need, and come back and get those things done. Yeah, I I, be, I believe that uh, you know, and and family so important in service. 
uh, and and as we dovetail into the legacy legacy piece, I'll just quickly uh, recap our encounter. You know, it was a chief uh, season in Gulfport. I needed someone uh, that was gonna come and and wow the group. <clears throat> you know, and we were already kind of working together with the CPO Scholarship Fund, which we'll talk about here in a little bit as well. Uh, and, and you came down to Gulfport and, and we were able to share some time and, and, and you did just what we thought you would do, which is uh, uh, wow us with your, uh, with your words and the, and the moment was special. And then we kept on and continued to work together with the CPO Scholarship Fund, which was uh, such a delight for me. Um, and, and it's still near and dear to me. Uh, it's one of those things that I also call legacy, right? Because it, it gives to others. Um, and so in, in the, in, as far as the word the legacy is concerned, what does that mean to you? And how, how did that mold you in any way? Enrico, I got to be honest with you. I, I had trouble with that. You know, when I saw those questions, you talked about legacy and I said, you know, maybe I don't understand the definition of legacy. So I, I looked it up, you know, and it's, you know, it, it's uh, something left behind uh, usually money or property, and it's uh, in your will. That's the basic Webster definition of, uh, definition of legacy. But then it goes a little further than that. It's things you leave behind that people remember. And it just amazes me today as I go around, I'll run into some command master chief that's retired and said, you know, I was an E1 or E2 when I met you, and this is what you said. I don't remember saying some of those things, but it's just amazing of how much of an impact you have when you get into a senior position like that. And I, I think I recognized that when I was there, uh, that you had to be careful because you're living in a glass house. Uh, so everything you say is taken for gospel. So you don't want to exaggerate things. You, you want to just be honest. I would hopefully think that part of my legacy is was I, I told the truth even when it hurt even when it you were unpopular in saying what you were saying that you needed to, to speak the truth you had to do it in a way that you you weren't humiliating people i have a very very good friend he was a first class when i was a first class pass we were both were enlisted navigators and both had been offered a, a commission if we would uh, you know, quit flying. And we said, no, we're going to stay as late. We were got down to where we were the last three. There were three of us that were the last enlisted navigators in the Navy. And he always looked at me and said, Dwayne, I retired after 24 years as a, as a first class petty officer. You retired as master chief of the Navy. But we were exactly the same. He said, you, you were a rebel. You always fought the system. You, when you saw something wrong, you spoke up and fought for it. He said, how did you advance? And I stayed the first class. I said, it's because I knew when to back off. When you got somebody in the corner and you got them, you can look in their face and you can say, they understand what I'm saying. They just can't accept it right now. You back off and let it, let it sink in. I said, that was a difference between the two of us. I think as Master Chief of the Navy, the first time I met, uh, Admiral Trost wanted me to meet with all the four stars when they came down. They, they have a meeting and they lock the thing and, they have a session where nobody, no aides are around or anything like that. And he said, I want you there, Mick. And I felt like I was out of my place a little bit. 
you know, and every time I spoke, I'd get all these admirals look at me and throw their hands up. And then the next day they came in and said, you know, I thought about what the Mick Vaughn said and he's right on, we're off. You know, cause I saw things different because of the background I came from. And if you're a rebel, it can't be accepted. But if you just put it out there, back off a little bit and then come back again. Sometimes you had to go back three or four times, but it works, I think. At least it worked for me. Almost got relieved a couple of times. Uh, Jim Hurt and I, you really hurt not too long ago and we were having uh, dinner one night and he said, Dwayne, you wouldn't last two weeks in today's Navy as Mick Pond. You know, he made me a little mad. He upset me a little bit. Yeah, I, I felt, oh, I'm, I'm, I want to show you what I can do. And uh, then I thought about it and I started laughing. I said, you know, Jim, you're right. Because I had a true leader for, for CNO. He, at one point, and I, I think I've shared this story with you, where there was a Stars and Stripes article that uh, wasn't exactly what I said. It was taken out of context, but there were some congressmen that wanted me fired. And I went in the next morning and uh, met with Admiral Trost. And he, he said, you know, I'm getting a lot of phone calls uh, about you from over on the Hill. The comment I'd made was, I was asked about the Berlin Wall and the Berlin Wall coming down and a, nothing but a chief's meeting, just, just chiefs in there, closed meeting. And a, a senior chief said, Pond, what do you think about the Berlin Wall coming down and our relationship with our enemy, the Soviet Union? And I said, you know, I get briefed on all that and I understand what's going on, but my job is health, welfare, morale, and training of enlisted people and junior officers. And so it's, it's not the war fighting side. I said, my enemy is congressmen and senators on the other side of the Potomac River. Well, Stars and Stripes article come out and said, Master Chief of the Navy said, the Navy's enemy is congressmen and senators on the other side of the Potomac River. So they were a little upset that, and it wasn't what I uh, had actually said. So I looked at Admiral Trost and I said, well, Admiral, I apologize if I embarrassed you. And I apologize if I embarrassed the United States Navy. But did I tell a lie? And he looked at me, he went back, he started laughing. He said, that's why I hired you. Keep it up. I got your back. That's the difference of then and now. You know, uh, Theodore Roosevelt's one of my, being the command master of Theodore Roosevelt, going up there and working with the Theodore Roosevelt organization a lot. I, I studied a lot about Theodore Roosevelt as president. And he said, show me a man that, that hasn't made a mistake and I'll show you a man that hasn't done anything. And that's where the Navy was back then. You could make a mistake and you could recover from it or people understood. Look back at Nimitz. You know, he ran a ship aground. And then when he goes in front of the Admiral, he told him the truth. He told him what happened, what he did to get ship off. And uh, the Admiral looked at him and said, well, Lieutenant, did you learn anything? Yes, sir. Okay, let's get on to the next subject. <laughs> Today, we, we went through an era we had a couple of CNOs that just said, you're fired. And we lost some very good people. This is just Wayne Bush's opinion, but I think uh, we tried to go to a zero defect Navy and or zero defect organization. And you just can't do that. You have to be able to trust people. And when they make a mistake, and I'm not saying stealing, fraternization, things like that, you just can't tolerate. But there's some things people are gonna make a mistake. And then you just go on from there. 
Yeah, legacy is definitely built on grace. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, because we are human and 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 we will, you know, err sometimes. And uh, you know, it's just the the proof of time, right? The time will prove uh, the real legacy, right? And so, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, the definition uh, of legacy and when you was talking about something that you leave, usually in monetary and, and, and things in, in, in a will, um, but your life, your life has been a will to us. It really has been. Um, it, it's been written every day. And uh, you may have not recognized that, but I'm telling you from my standpoint, that's how it is. Um, you know, all the things that you have done, decisions that you were part of uh, for the betterment of the Navy became our will, you know? And so we thank you for that. Uh, <clears throat> we, we were talking about legacy. You, sh you shared with us what, what it means to you. Um, but what part does legacy have in leadership? Well, I think you have to look back at what would will to you. And, and I look back at my career and it, it starts first but with my first chief. He, he was uh, very young. Uh, he was a red striper, two stripes. He had less than 12 years in, in the Navy. Uh, I was a young third class petty officer that uh, had just gotten married. And he and his wife took Sue and I under his wing and taught us a lot. Uh, and I think that helped me in leadership. You know, he showed me what it was like to be a leader. I'd move on up to when I was a first class petty officer, Woodby Island and a navigator in A3s. Uh, the first person I think of is Master Chief Alvy White. When I first started working for him, he was a senior chief. Uh, he went on made master chief. There's a couple of times I'd never heard that man cuss. I never heard him yell at anybody. I never saw him get real upset. I mean, what an example he was of how to be a leader. I could never do that. You know, I'm half French and half Irish. I, I don't know whether make love or fight. But <laughs> he was just a calm family guy. He really loved his family. He loved to fish. We did a lot of fishing together. I look at uh, Chief Pope. That was there. He was a senior chief. Uh, ended up dying in an A3 plane crash, but he made a major impact on me. I read a lot after I finally settled down and said I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to stay in the Navy. I started reading books uh, of leadership. I read about Admiral Nimitz and his style of leadership and uh, uh, chief petty officers that books have been written about. The World War II uh, pilot. Uh, people don't realize they had pilots uh, that were enlisted years ago. And uh, Pappy Boynton, which, which was just a, a great, great person. And I tried to style myself to him. Nothing's impossible. My dad used to tell me that. He'd be doing something. He'd be tearing an engine part or something. I'd say, Dad, how'd you learn how to do that? And he'd say, I'm learning now. See that book? I'm reading the book and I'm doing it. So I thought... Uh, Reading books was important. I could, I got one that was very uh, instrumental in my career. Let's see if I, if I got it over here somewhere. It's, uh, it's called The Leadership Skills of Attila the Hun. <laughs> and when I was uh, Mick Vaughn, uh, 
Master Chief Brody, who was the uh, Force Master Chief for the Reserves, came running in my office one day. He said, Big Bob, I just read a book that describes you to the T. I said, what's that? He said, leadership skills are the till of the hunt. I went, what? <laughs> I'm that bad? He said, no, you got to read the book. It was written tongue in cheek. But it describes what a chief petty officer ought to be all the way through that book. And so I, that's legacy in that things are passed down in writing. My first year at McFaul and I, uh, it called uh, the JOs in and I said, you know, ships, squadrons, major commands at the end of every year have to write a little bit to put into the Naval Archives for the history of that, that position. And they said, okay. And a couple of days later, come back and said, you know, we've never done that before. I said, what? There's no history of the McBond office? I said, no. I said, well, go back here in the files and start digging things out and let's write the history of the, they come back and said, all the files are empty. And there was a room with about 10 files and every McBond when they left, their EA took their, their, all the stuff with them. So there was no history of the office. I said, well, that's bad. So we hired uh, Charlotte Chris. She was the first life petty officer then. She retired as a JO Master Chief. Uh, we brought her back on active duty. She was a reserve and said, Charlotte, your job is to write the history of this office. And that, at that point, all seven of us were still alive. It, I was the seventh McBond. And I said, your job is to go interview every one of them, spend a couple of days with them, tape it and come back and, and put it down where we got the history. Well, that turned out to be the book, Winds of Change. And there are seven chapters of that book. It, it ended with, uh, with me, but she put together kind of the history and it just kind of tickles my heart now when I go aboard Navy ships or I go places, I look up on the bookshelf and there's the book, Winds of Change. So there's a, it's been uh, parts of it. A lot of people during the CPO initiation time, they're using that book. And I used that book. <laughs> We were just talking about uh, when I when I read that book, um, there was a piece in there. And, you know, when you talk about legacy, right? And I already said, right, uh, uh, Big Bob, Dwayne Bushy was my Big Bob. That's the way it's going to be. <laughs> uh, and um, I read that part uh, about, you know, the initiation of, of that part uh, and, and your book being lost. And I remember feeling a tug in my heart, right, because... That charge book to, uh, to, to us CPOs, uh, we, we, we put that up. I mean, we, we got it on a lock and key and we have, and we read it and we remember, and we go back to those special people that gave us those sage counsels. And I remember reading that you didn't have one. I said, no, we got to change that. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't know if you have it around there and there, but, uh, we, you know, I, I had this uh, chart book created for you with the with your flight jacket on it, uh, or with the with the uh, cover on it, uh, the flight suit. Oh, uh, but it, it's in my office downstairs. I reached yeah. around to grab it. I've got it. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it, because I thought, man, he he went through all that and then <laughs> didn't come out with a good one. So. So I, I hope that's always a treasure for you and because uh, we really meant that you know, the, the fleet got together uh, to get that together for you. And, and, and I hope that that's always going to be a joy for you um, in terms of legacy. Now, now I'm, uh, I'm in leadership. Right. I love the fact that you you say, well, what what was will to you? Uh, because as a leader, 
you're creating the will for the next leader. And so that's a piece of leadership that people don't get to understand too often. Your every day, it's a written will for the next leader coming around. And, it, and you need to be so conscious of that so that you can create a good and standing will. And so in, in, if I'm a leader and I'm having some challenges in that area, what, what would you suggest that I could do in my day-to-day to incorporate legacy? It's part of what I just talked about. It, it's look at other people that you admire, uh, whether they've written a book or just somebody that you know. Sit down, spend time with them. Uh, ask them, you know, what was important to you? Why did you do this? I think some of us, uh, I never realized I was making a legacy. I, I, I didn't do things to say, oh, this is going to look good on my legacy. I was just trying to do what I could do that, that would help people. I, I looked at other other people, uh, Admiral McRaven, you know, I just made him uh, last year an honorary uh, master chief. I said, if you don't screw it up, we might make him a McPon someday. <laughs> I said, you'll screw it up, Admiral. But you know, his book, he's got the, he's got the book called uh, uh, Make Your Bed. And it is so good about developing a young life of what's important and how to originate yourself. I have seven grandsons. I bought seven copies of it and wrote in each one of them what I thought they were capable of doing and gave it to them and said on, on Christmas and said, this is a book you put by the bedstand. You don't read the whole, sit down and read the whole book. Read a chapter at a time. Think about it. Takes Take maybe 15 minutes to, to read a chapter. And when it talks in there about how important it is to get up in the morning, to organize yourself, to, to make your bed and get ready for the day, how important that is. Here's, here's another one. It's uh, uh, Sea Stories by Avril uh, McRaven uh, that's out there. So I think those are the things you can do to improve yourself and to look at what's good. Now, just remember, as a leader, you can also have a legacy the other way. Oh, he's the guy that screwed things up all the time. Oh, he's the guy that uh, never stood up for us. He's the one that was yes sir, yes sir, and uh, and, and we got we got the dregs down here. I'm trying to clean it up a little bit, as you can see. <laughs> you know, it's uh, there are people out there that have that. Uh, He's remembered as one way. He's the remembered as the guy that got lost navigating or something like that. So there's there's negative legacies also. I always felt like I, I picked people out uh, that I really admired and wanted to go. And and that was true in my life too, not just in my, my leadership and, and military. If we got a little time, I'll tell you another little story that, that made a major impact on my life. Uh, Sue wanted to go to Massanetta Springs to a family Bible conference. And it was a week long family, family thing. I didn't want to go in a worse way. I gave her a hard time. Well, I knew when I was whipped, yes, ma'am, we're going. Uh, and I was running 10, 12 miles every day for lunch. I didn't, and it's a family style dinner. So I didn't sit down for lunch. When they sat down for lunch, I, I went running. And I was running one day and I came through an apple orchard and I stopped and picked an apple and I started eating. And all of a sudden this guy come out of nowhere and he says, hey, you mind if I get an apple? I said, I just stole this one, you help yourself. And I said, he picked an apple and we talked a little bit. And he said, well, you mind if I run with you? And I said, well, yeah, I'll, when I get to the bottom of the hill, there's a pond there and I take my shoes off and I swim across the pond. 
and then walk back around and get my shoes. And then, then that finishes up my 10 miles and I got to swim in too. He said, okay. So we took off running and we're talking a little bit and we got in the pond and swam across and we're sitting on the dock resting a little bit. And he said, to him, well, tell me about yourself. I asked, well, I'm a first class petty officer in the Navy. And, uh, you know, I really didn't want to come here. I don't fit here. Everybody here has got doctor's degrees and they've written books. And I, I said, you know, I just really feel uncomfortable being here. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, young man, everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time or they fall on their butt. He said, you shouldn't ever feel shy uh, about that. He said, you know, we're, we're all got our, our specialty things, but we're all equal in, in some ways. And we talked for quite a while. It turned out he was the guest speaker. He was flown in from Scotland. It, he had two doctor's degrees. He had published several books. <laughs> and so later on in my life, and I always remember that, I'd be respectful. Not People would say to me, Wayne, it's Mick Bowen. You got to have lunch with the president of the United States? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, didn't that scare you? Weren't you odd? I said, no. Puts his pants on one leg at a time and felt comfortable with it. Not arrogant about it. Still very respectful, but just understand we're human beings. And I, I felt comfortable being around the admirals and I felt very comfortable being around a, a seaman deuce. You know, it was just something that changed my life. Yeah, I love that because I'm similar uh, in that regard. Uh, you know, you just treat people like people, honor them, you know, respect them and, and show them love and, and you'll be fine. Uh, you know, no matter how high they, got, they have gotten, um, they are still human, right? So that's great. Now you talked about a, a little bit about the negative legacy and I, I wanna bring that up just a, a little bit because it is the other side of the coin, right? When legacy is set, it's set whether you're ready or not. Every day you live, you're writing another page in that, you know, that will, that testament. And if you're writing bad pages, you can still, you still have time. And if you're alive, you still got time. If you're dead, that's it. But <laughs> if you're alive, you still got an opportunity to write a different story, to write a different legacy. Uh, and I encourage those that may be feeling like, oh, you know, I don't have it all in the bag. Keep trying, keep pressing on. There's more pages, as long as the Lord gives you some, <laughs> uh, there's more pages and you can rewrite that story. So don't don't feel discouraged, um, son to come up. So thank you for that, uh, Pot out. I love these stories. Um, I would love to, get a, a little into the CPO scholarship for, because like I said earlier, near and dear to my heart, uh, you know, we started uh, back in 06 actually, when we, was, when we started with the uh, working together in that. And I, I would like for you to take a little time and talk about that because uh, it is a blessing to the chief community. Uh, well, it, yeah, if I, if I got at least five minutes, I'll give you a little history of, of how that got started. Uh, Secretary of the Navy Garrett and I were walking down the passageway in the Pentagon one day and he looked and said, Big you remember your first chief? Uh, oh, absolutely. Enderman Lamb, meanest son of a gun. I said, but boy, the things he taught me and, and we talked along. Well, a couple of weeks later, Admiral Border called me up and he said, uh, the Secretary of Navy wants to name the next ship coming out USS Chief in honor of all Navy chiefs. I said, that's great. And he said, and I want your wife to, he wants your wife to be the sponsor. So that was my last year as Mick Pond. And then uh, 
we christened it. I was still Nick Vaughn. And then the commissioning was after I'd retired. And then doing that, people don't realize that the, the fun part of a commissioning isn't paid for by taxpayer dollars. It's fundraising. And Navy League is the one that, that usually does that. Well, they had started, they set up a, a group and the president of Navy League called me and he said, uh, Dwayne, you need to get involved. He said, you know, we got to raise a lot of money and we're not very successful. And I said, I can't do that. It's a conflict of interest. My wife is the sponsor. He called me a couple weeks later and said, it's going to be embarrassing if you don't get involved. So I did and I went to the first meeting and they said, well, we need to go to Lockheed and ask for $5,000. We need to go to Newport New Shipyard and ask for five. I said, wait a minute, what's the name of the ship? Well, it's chief. I said, listen, it's all chiefs in the United States Navy for $1, just $1. And let's ask all chiefs mess for $100. And if they do $100, we'll send them a plaque uh, made from the ribs of the, of the MCM-14, which is uh, made out of wood. I was told that would fail. I said, I don't think you understand the power of the chief's mess networking. This is before Facebook, Twitter, cell phones, or any of that stuff. Uh, we put the word out. Two weeks later, we had to put the word out. Don't send any more money. We got more money we can spend. <laughs> and we did a great thing for the crew. We had a great commissioning. We got all done. We had $10,500 left over, and we were sitting around. And I, I said, okay, what do you guys want to do with this? Shall we give it to the Navy League? And a senior chief stood up and he said, Dwayne, start a scholarship fund. I said, how in the world do I do that? And he said, how in the world do you get me master chief in the Navy? Figure it out. <laughs> well, he made me mad, you know. So Bob Walker, the third master chief in the Navy, who was the, the president of, of that group and myself, put this together. And it's grown from that $10,500. And we gave out two $500 scholarships and just started growing the fund. To where we are today, we're giving out 1.4 million. Uh, what I like to see happen now is, and it's starting to spread out there, is for everybody to make out allotment, active duty, reserve, and retired to the CPO scholarship fund for $14. MCM 14, $14. I discovered that because I, I hadn't looked at my leave and earning statements for years, about 15, 20 years, and I looked the other day and I said, I'm giving $20 to uh, Navy Relief. I didn't know that. But I started that a lot, but way back when I was active duty, I retired, I didn't turn it off and it's, and it's still there going to uh, Navy Relief. And I think this scholarship fund would be the same way. Uh, before I die, my goal has been, we have enough money in escrow that the interest from it would support the overhead because we've gotten so big now, we have to have an office and things like that. So. <clears throat> I'm willing to come to anybody, talk to him. Uh, uh, Scott Kelly uh, is our new president. He just relieved Joe. Uh, he's willing to come out and talk to people. And, uh, you know, we send the flyer out. If you go on uh, uh, website, cposf.org, you can pull up the, the flyer and the, and the forms for filling it out. And you can also see what we actually do. It, it's a great, great program. Yeah, I know it well. And for all those chiefs mess out there that are listening, uh, every year, uh, our annual CPO's, uh, you know, golf outing uh, was made specifically to support the CPO Scholarship Fund. So just an idea for you guys. It was successful and uh, we loved it. <laughs> yeah, and, and Enrico, we've missed that. You, I, I've never figured it out, but there's a lot of young men and women that are 
gotten help going to college because of you and what you did out there in Hawaii. It was just great. No, I appreciate it. It was my, it was my pleasure and always my honor. Uh, Mick Pond, thank you so much uh, for sharing your morning with us, sharing your insight on legacy with us. And if someone wanted to get a hold of you, uh, what would be the best way? It's, uh, I think everybody in the Navy's got my email address, but in case they don't, it's uh, D Bushy, B U S H E Y, at horizon.net. And my cell phone is 757 646 9869. So, yeah, I, I love hearing from people. Uh, this time of the year, I get a lot of message and phone calls because the, the reserve CPO list is out. Uh, and then when, when the regular list comes out, I get a lot of phone calls and it's usually, this still kind of awes me. People will call and say, Mick Bond. I say, yeah, this is, this is Dwayne Bushy. I can't believe it. I'm talking to you. You answered the phone. I'm just a person. I put my pants on one leg at a time. <laughs> yeah. Or you go through a gate and they'll see my ID card and it says Mick Bond uh, E10. And I'll come to attention and salute. And say, I never met one of you before. You know, I said, settle down, settle down. Put my pants on one leg at a time. I'm just human. I'm a farm boy from New Hampshire. Yeah, and that's why we love you so much, uh, Make Pond. And uh, for everybody that's been listening to this conversation, uh, this is the final episode of my uh, advisors, right? I got five that, that I love dearly and appreciate because uh, not only have they set out a legacy that I can follow, but they, they're still doing great things for leaders, still doing great things in our community. And so I really appreciate this time that I've been able to spend with you uh, talking for everyone that's been uh, with us for the last uh, whatever amount of time that we did uh, gather uh, our info. Uh, we wanna wish you all well. And as we always like to close our show, uh, success to you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'd love to hear suggestions for our future shows or any remarks you may have that will help us improve. Until then, success to you.